And welcome to the Awkward In Between podcast, a podcast where, you know what, it's really funny actually, um, just on a side, I was going to explain, like the podcast is a podcast where we explore in between spaces, between you know, different positions of certainty and other awkward kind of places. We did make the joke in a couple of episodes ago about the podcast being just a run through Dave Schenk's Easter Fest context list. Yeah, uh, context it, list. it has been a bit that. I was thinking we should start a drinking game where every time you mention Easter Fest or the festival, <laughs> people take a shot and we'll see how sloshed people get by the end of the podcast. Okay. Yeah, it's a bad time in the podcast to do that, I think. There's been plenty of mentions and uh, and I don't think they're going to change again to today either, mm. but, uh, you know, it's... Uh it has been a little bit that, but that's that's every podcast I think is like that, right? Like you start going through your friends list, people who'll talk to you, yes, and then you know maybe it, you know you either do or you don't gain enough momentum to end up being able to invite you know famous people, but. <laughs> But uh, no, it's, it's been, oh, I've loved the chats that we've had so far. Yeah, it's been really good. I'm really impressed too. Like we've had a bit of feedback already from the podcast. So I'm impressed because it means someone's actually listened. Yeah, um, yeah. No, there's definitely a few people listening. Mm. I've been looking at the stats and, and they're not mind blowing or anything, but uh, there's, yeah, there's people listening and a little bit of feedback here and there. We've got an email. Yeah. We, our first email from a from a listener, Dion, mm-hmm. e- emailed us, uh, which was really cool. He, like, cool. I'm going to read the email. Yeah, read so the email. It's relatively short. It says, Hi, Dave and Damien. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for sharing your perspectives on the podcast. I've mostly lost touch uh, with what you guys have been doing since those double shot days, but it has been very refreshing to hear from you again. Now, jump in there for a second and yeah. say that we haven't probably even mentioned the fact that for, what, nine months-ish, we, yeah. were, we were doing like a five days a week breakfast Christian radio show. So, yes. like, you know, that that's what the double shot was. In, in Toowoomba, um, right? In Which Toowoomba. is like, for anybody listening, like, Toowoomba is Australia's Bible Belt. And it's the buckle on the Bible Belt, yeah. man. Like, it is arguably the most conservative Christian city on the planet. Well, yep. certainly in this in, country, in anyway. In Australia, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, Dion goes on to say, I have perhaps had some similar thoughts and processes as you both in this last decade or so, although as I come from a Pentecostal background and not an evangelical background, the questions that I felt needed to be asked were perhaps different. I'm sure I have come to some very different conclusions than you both on most every topic under the sun, but I really appreciate you guys taking the risk to share your journey in such an honest way. And to be fair, like actually my background is is quite probably similar to Dion's. Like mm. I've I've had a fair whack of the Pentecostal background, which I think has a lot of overlap with the evangelical yep. background as far as labels goes. Uh, but no, it's great to hear from Dion. And isn't that what we're trying to create, right? Like is exactly that space where Dion is is finding it a valuable space and mm-hmm. valuable content, not because he agrees with us. No. But because we're trying to create a space which is vulnerable, a space that is safe to have a different opinion exactly. to somebody else. Which is what I'm really excited about about today's episode. But before we get into that, I am just going to crack open our beer, oh, it's beer for time. this evening. Come on. Because, I mean, this is the fun thing too. That's something I really enjoyed when we chatted with Chad a couple of episodes back is that idea of just kicking back with a beer, with talking to somebody. Yep. You know, and again, it's not about trying to convince somebody else that you think that you're right, they're wrong, whatever. It's just going, you know what? We're just humans just feel, you know, 
fluffing around in the dark, trying to work out what it all means. And when you can do that over a good beer and just check, you know, yeah, yeah. What do we got? What do we got? So this Tell one is from you a local Brisbane today. brewery, uh, Sea Legs. Yes. Um, so they're very close to home for us. It's a Canadian maple cream pie ale. Maple and, uh, cream pie ale. Tabernak, it's called. Very good. No, right. well, you pour those. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, what I'm excited about today, because one of the you know the feedbacks that we got too from um, from a couple of people that I've spoken to, have listened to the podcast, and they were actually interested in hearing a bit more disagreement. Um, they were interested in hearing some more conservatives um, positions, which I was surprised about. Right, because you've been saying to me, oh, I feel like it's a little bit too kind of erring on the side of the conservative Christian conversation. Yeah. And that's why I'm really excited about our guest today, because our guest today, uh, Pastor Stephen Carl, is that right? Yeah, so Pastor Carl, I'm not sure whether Steve calls himself the pastor. I have heard him uh, somewhat ironically call himself the uh, pastor's wife. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, look, Steve has been a friend of mine for years. Like We'd be going back to the the mid-90s when Steve and I first connected. Uh, and, and we'll talk about all of that, no mm. doubt. Um, he, he was very young at the time. Um, I'm old, so I was a bit older at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, Steve, Steve has been a friend for years. Um, and for my journey, uh, I guess, was a significant um, catalyst in my processing of our LGBTQ things. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to that chat. But uh, can, can we back up for one sec? Like, I, I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on our last interview because I loved it. It's probably my favourite chat we've had so far. With Brady? Which is saying something because we've had some great chats, mm. but with Brady Toops. Oh, I think that was, yeah. I mean, it was just great. But I mean, Brady, as, and we both admit it, we have a huge uh, crush on A total man crush. Because yeah, absolutely. He's just a beautiful human being. <laughs> he really is. I just love his openness and curiosity to the world. Like, he's just somebody who just, you know, in his 40s I mean he and I are the same age um, and he just has this sense of just playfulness and curiosity you know? yeah so right I just want to yeah yeah like- yeah, yeah. No, look, and that's really interesting you say that because I was watching some uh, it might have been the project I think did mm. an interview recently um, just happened to be watching over dinner and uh, they did an interview with Jane Fonda right who obviously is getting on a little bit but uh, she pulled out a quote it's a Pablo Picasso quote uh, that she pulled out in that interview, where she said, he said, um, it takes a long time to become young. Mm. And that just reminded me so much of our chat with Brady, that whole idea that, you know, when you're first born, everything is new. There's this kind of really genuine naivety, right, to everything. Um, you haven't even put labels on anything. Um, when you're first born mm. um, but it can take almost a lifetime right like and I think but but with Brady I just look at him and I look at, at like you say he's the same age as you thanks for rubbing it in and I'm like nearly a decade older than you boys but uh, just that idea that he's rediscovering kind of that naivety that that kind of um, awe yeah of the world you know that simple things bring real awe and and delight um, that comes from being young. Mm. Uh, it really good. T- have it, have it, it tasted that I've beer yet? Yeah. It. And that, like the maple on mm-hmm. the nose is is wild. Yeah, have a taste. Yeah, it's this beer. It's amazing. It is like literally drinking alcoholic maple syrup. So thank you for oh, our wow. friends here. Yeah, that is very mapley. 
at Thank Sea you. Leg. Sea and like Legs. I said, we're not sponsored by any breweries, but if you want to... <laughs> we are open to You know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am really excited about getting into our episode today because I think there's going to be the opportunity to start raising some of those questions. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily questions that we have, but questions that we know exist out there that people yep. may feel uncomfortable to ask. And with Steve and Carl, I really think that tonight we're going to be able to, you know, or today, whatever time you're listening, just uh, <laughs> putting it in there. Look, it's Sunday night. At least we're not drinking at six o'clock in the morning again this time. <laughs> exactly. But we might be able to just throw some of those questions out there and at least have conversations, as we say, that may be awkward, yep. but done in a way that is just all about love and respect. Love it. Cool. Let's get them on. Looking forward tonight to chatting to my friend uh, Steve and Carl. Uh, they're coming to us live from Sydney. And it's not Steve, Steve and Carl. Like, uh, it's two people. Yep. We're chatting to two people tonight. Steve, my friend uh, who I have known. How old were you, Steve, when we met? Uh, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day, but I think we're probably knowing each other, uh, I would say, 20 years plus. Yeah, yeah, I would think easily. I mean, we're going back to uh, Coast Life Conference, which was a kind of creative arts and worship conference demo that I ran for four or five years uh, back in the day, like 96 at least. No, earlier, 90. Yeah, 96 is when I joined. Yeah, him. yeah, at least. So, so we're going back a little bit. And Steve's partner, uh, Carl, who I have met through Steve. And, and I'm just thinking, like, really, that there is enough. That really sets up our episode right there. <laughs> <He's> there. <laughs> uh, it, my friend Steve and his partner, Carl. Carl pastors uh, a church in Sydney. And I have heard Steve uh, give his conservative Christi Christian friends a hard time by calling himself the pastor's wife uh, in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes it gets up there, yes. Which is great. I mean, that's a great place to dive in already, I think, in, into our conversation because obviously, um, particularly too, just in, in recent times, like we've seen here in Australia, we've had a, a particular football team like the Manly Seagulls who wanted to wear a pride jersey and that um, was then they had a, a problem within the club from you know uh, a member of their community within the club that had a particular faith, which I think you know, they were Christian or they Mormon, whatever it might be. No, Christian, I think, yeah. Christians yeah, that yeah. didn't want to wear the jersey because... So obviously for you guys, as, as a gay couple, but also connected within a church, you've had to kind of toe the line, or not so much toe the line, but you've... Navigate that space. Navigated yeah. the space between you know the LGBTI community and also the conservative Christian community. What's that space like for you two? Let's just dive straight in there, Damo. Yeah. Like, no holding back. Let's just go straight into the heart of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I grew up in the Assemblies of God um, back in the 80s and probably had some awareness that I wasn't going to grow up the same way that everyone else was going to grow up, mm. but no words for that. And there was a lot of fear and hostility towards... Um, Gay people, the Mardi Gras, like this is the language mm. used to use back in the 80s, you know, and a lot of concern that it was all going to overthrow the family. Um, and it's really awkward growing up in that space, knowing that you're quite different um, and also feeling a lot of guilt and shame around that. And it's, yeah, not something that you can really talk to. You can't talk to anyone about it because um, the whole topic is so explosive and you're just a kid. So you kind of keep it to yourself. Yeah, that's really interesting. So like, I love these conversations when stuff comes up that we don't already know. Like we, and you know, to, for the sake of our listeners, yeah. it's we don't do an awful lot of 
prep for these uh, interviews. We don't kind of uh, script it to any great extent. And I love it when stuff comes up that we're not already aware of. And Carl, obviously, mm. you know, like I've only had the opportunity to hang out with you in person once. Um, love you dearly because you are so dearly loved by someone else who is so special to me. Uh, but obviously, one-on-one, we've had very limited chance to hang out you were hilarious by the way uh far funnier than i anticipated but uh <laughs> but uh, like it, it our relationship we haven't had a chance to unpack our backgrounds to any great extent together or and uh what's interesting is that yeah. in the mid 80s um i was moved from a very conservative evangelical um background of my dad as a churches of christ pastor um, to we started yep. going to Frank Houston's church in Darlinghurst, uh, ah, okay. kind of 85, 86 for a couple of years there. My Both my yep. parents were involved in on staff there in some capacity and, and we were there for a couple of years. I used to get drum lessons there oh, at the church wow. as I'd get off the train and walk through King's Cross or Darlinghurst to uh, get yep. to the church and... And that's a very interesting time to be processing those kinds of experiences for yourself. What, yeah, it really was. You know, in that AOG scene where it was pretty much just was, not a thing. Um, out in Duneside, uh, yeah. more kind of outer west. Yep. And when Frank Houston started that church, we actually changed the name from Duneside Assemblies of God to Duneside Christian Life Center. Right, Because yep. that movement was seen as being the next big step. It was the thing, um, yeah. For the Assemblies of God. And it was a shift as well in the Assemblies of God from being like a socially conservative movement where I remember being very little and people talking about how makeup is kind of evil, like going to worldly places like the cinema or whatever. Mm. And then all of a sudden Christian Life Center happened and all the women ran out and got highlights in their hair because (laughs) it's not evil to have hair dye anymore. Mm. And that was what Christian Life Center was all about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a massive shift for me. All of a sudden, I went from believing that anyone who spoke in tongues was probably demon-possessed to actually speaking in tongues myself and yeah. not thinking I was demon-possessed. Who knows now? I, I, I'm not <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> I, I mean, then the funny thing is you go to the other extreme when you join those Pentecostal churches where any of you not speaking in tongues, are you even Christian, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a really interesting journey. I want to back up a little bit, Steve. Obviously, you and I have known ourselves each other as we said for twenty odd years, um, and and you were quite young when you started to get involved in that kind of multimedia side of of different events that I was involved in running uh, worship conferences and then there was Youth Alive and then later there was Sunfest and Easterfest and there's a, a drinking moment oh. for you, mate. Yeah, take a shot. Yes. Uh, we've decided there's a new drinking game for the uh, Awkward In-Between podcast. When Dave mentions Easterfest, everyone takes a shot. So that's uh, strike well, we one for the night. Ready. We haven't prepped for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys need a moment to prepare a drink or something, that's fine. <laughs> it does tend to come up a little bit uh, as when we talk. It was 10 years of my life, so not surprising. But Stevie, talk, talk to us. T- you know, like, what do you remember of that journey in the early days? What's, what's your uh, kind of Christian journey been like? Yeah, so I didn't... I came from a spiritual home. Um, I wouldn't really call it a... You know, uh, going to church every Sunday sort of home. Uh, but I got introduced to a local church on the Sunshine Coast 
um, when I was going through primary school, they had a school program that was running and I sort of connected through the church that way. So I became the, uh, the, the Sunday going person in our family. Yep. Um, so at that stage it was, um, I was living with my mum and my brother. Uh, my parents had split up by that point. Um, so I was on the Sunshine Coast, started going to the church on a Sunday. Uh, and that's sort of how I originally got introduced to church um, and became a weekly attendee. And then we, uh, I think we gave you a scholarship, didn't we, as a student to one of our conferences uh, was yeah, how we so originally back connected. Yeah, the Coast Life Conference, I think you guys sent out a scholarship to all the local churches and uh, our pastor at our local church decided to send it my way, so... Here I was as a young teenager, uh, getting this free pass to a conference, which is always good, you know, free, 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 free money, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, yeah, be able to come along. And I think uh, back then it was also 96, we also had the Nest Cafe. So your wife had the yeah, little Named cafe after my wife, up. yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, oh, so, Nest Cafe. Yeah, yeah okay, the Nest Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't serving Nescafe, I hope. Like I would, surely we weren't I had doing that. a horrifying that. moment when I thought that's what you meant, that there was like a cafe where you just served. <laughs> no, named after my coffee. wife, Ness, little play on words, but I hope we weren't actually serving Nescafe <laughs> because that would be more embarrassing than anything I've talked about on the podcast so far. Yeah, so at my local church, I was um, involved in that technology space anyway. So yeah. it would be audio, video, um, across, you know, just anything technical I was probably involved back then so uh, Coast Life did have a couple of technical electives that I got involved in that I enrolled in uh, so they were running you know little workshops on you know sound and video etc but uh, I think it was the first year I was there I actually signed up to a lighting um, elective mm. and um, hilariously um, it got cancelled at some point and it didn't get communicated through so you know sorry kudos to the great event organizer there dave uh, but i think i got better to his credit um he did organize a backup plan so when he did find out that things weren't quite as it was meant to be uh he got on the telephone to uh gray and sutherland which is a lighting guy at the mm. local church there and just went you know we've got this person here can you spend some time so uh, what was meant to be a formal elective turned out to be just a one-on-one, you know, talking about lighting, and it was, yeah, it was amazing. I'm curious to know, like, obviously, Steve can hear that you and Dave have gone back quite a long way. How did you and Carl first meet? What, what was your story? Yeah, so we actually met at a barbecue. So this is probably going back on track to our discussion. So, um, you know, while I was trying to navigate the space of, you know, Christianity and my sexuality, uh, I connected with a group back then that was called Freedom to Be. Uh, Freedom to Be was an online forum. Uh, it was set up by Anthony Van Brown. Um, and that's a whole other conversation there, which I'm sure uh, you, we might open one day. Uh, but basically, uh, they ran this organization, Freedom to Be, and they ran, you know, probably quarterly catch up meetings and all that. So they were based in Sydney. So I ended up doing a couple of trips to Sydney. Uh, during that time and met Carl at a barbecue. And it's, it's great that you talked about before that whole exploring of spirituality and sexuality. I don't know if you've ever read, Rob Bell's got this book called Sex God, which I think is a great book. And it kind of talks about that whole connection between spirituality and sexuality. Can you just share with me a bit more of, of what was that experience? Like what sort of were sort of some of the questions and things that you were 
asking yourself and 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 bouncing back and forth in your mind during that experience yeah i think the way i sum it up is it was more about the reconciliation between the two mm. uh, you get it's same with your spiritual journey it starts in your head and then it moves to your heart so i had to sort out you know that knowledge in my head to make it make sense first and then once i understood it in my head it then you know shifted to my heart and it became a conviction um that you know i don't see this big chasm between um you know being gay and being christian mm. um you know some people see those two as being you know completely exclusive they can't have both at the same time but i you know i have a strong conviction that you know they can be you know together and if you know not just together but they actually you know work together as mm. well and i think that's a really great point um that you've just made that some people they see that chasm there, right? And I think mm. that that's something that we're seeing in society today where you've got people that may sit on one extreme of that chasm where they go, okay, um, I'm a Christian and therefore because of that or I have these values and therefore because of that on the other side of that, that's something that can't be reconciled over here. But we're also seeing on the other side, I guess, um, members that look at, you know, or, or, or more so a criticism of people that might be in that position of having this, you know, I've got this question, this doesn't make sense to me, um, but I don't know how to, to process that. I'm assuming that in the context that you've, you know, that you're operating in, you're meeting people all the time that are wrestling with those questions of, uh, of going, I'm a Christian, I don't understand, I have these views that I may not have even come up with myself. It's just what I grew up with and that's kind of instilled within me that says homosexuality or whatever is is not of God or whatever it might be. Mm. How are you interacting with people like that? Because I feel like at the moment in society, we're not able to have those sort of discussions mm. in a way that doesn't result to one group saying, you're bad and mm. evil, and the other group going, you're a bunch of homophobes. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's still, I mean, Crave's, Crave Church has been around for um, over a decade and a half. And it's always been the initial inquiry is when people say, I'm dealing with this intersection of, of my faith. And it's not necessarily sexuality, but rejection by the church mm. um, or, you know, being shamed and excluded for whatever reason. And then church trauma, that connects with it as well. Mm. And there's... There's just this conflict between people loving and accepting themselves and feeling like they fit in in religious spaces. Um, and gosh, when you describe it that way, it's you see that in scripture all the time. You see that in you know every group of people that's been hurt have felt like the religious powers that be don't have space and don't have room for them. Mm. I mean, that's the people that Jesus ministered to. And it's the same, exactly that same concern that people have. Um, and I feel like people have a lot of shame and guilt about their sexuality. Mm. And then they know that they, they have to talk about a few Bible verses as well. <laughs> but addressing the shame and the guilt and those feelings is really the, is the starting point you have with everyone. Mm. Um, and just listening to them, that takes away the fear. And then you can look at, you know, scripture can be interpreted in many different ways and we don't have all the context and we can't ask the authors what they meant. You have to think about how to apply scripture to our world today. And we can do all of that, 
But if you come from a place of fear and shame, that's going to twist everything. Mm. Um, and if you come from a place of hostility as well, if you, you know, feel like gay people are attacking the family or something like that, then you're going to see a lot of homophobia in scripture, of course. Mm. Um, but you don't need to. And you know, there's a there's a better way to approach it. I, I think put a bit of colour around that. So a bit of my journey. Uh, so I was on a church on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I was working out my sexuality. I didn't even know what my sexuality was at that point. Uh, and there was some information that came out and I got confronted by three leaders of the church. Um, and I was a staff member. I was a casual staff member of the church. Um, and they confronted me and said, we've got this information and we know you're gay. And what do you have to say about it? Wow. Um, mm. And so I didn't even understand my sexuality at that point. Um, I hadn't... Yeah gotten to that point that I had identified as gay. So, you know, I knew that the church, it was wrong. So I said, no, I'm not gay. Um, and they said, so then they said, um, well, we've got this information. We think you are. Um, hand over your keys to the church. Um, you're welcome to come back to the nine o'clock service, but basically the doors are only open for you, yeah. um, you know, for the church service. Mm. Uh, wow. So, you know, that's just my story. But as a church, we hear number of these stories echoed through every church through mm. Australia. Yeah. yeah. And I, look, I want to say too, I, I obviously was aware of that at the time. So around the same season demo, um, Steve was very involved with Youth Alive uh, in that multimedia space and I was production manager for Sunshine Coast Youth Alive at the time. Uh, I was approached by Steve's pastors who felt that not only should he not be doing anything, ministering I guess would be the word that was probably used uh, at the time uh, in, in their local church um, scenario, but that also it was important for him to not be doing that, you know, in Youth Alive or other spaces. And so they felt the need to tell me about that circumstance and suggest that I also don't have Steve involved. Wow. And I literally, and, and this is like full transparency, uh, which you know is, is, you know, perhaps me to a fault, I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, literally this week I rang Steve. Uh, because I wanted to have touched base about that um, situation before tonight's interview uh, to just apologise and just say, man, I'm so sorry for the part I played in that. I have obviously come to a very different place in my life these days and uh, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm feeling quite emotional about yeah. that. Like, I, I just, I wish I had... And, and look, to hark back to our Brady Toops interview, which was the last interview we did, I, I so appreciated his insight into the idea of coming to a place where you can fig, forgive kind of younger you, you know, like and, and, uh, for the things they didn't know better than at the time. Uh, and so I'm trying to do that. But I just, yeah, it was, I look back on the part that I played being so embedded in that I'm going to say these days I look at an incredibly toxic culture of, of some of those church environments. Mm. Um, just so sad that I wasn't able to play 
a different part in that um, how that unfolded. But uh, but then you know Steve, and and I'm going to say again for the record on my podcast, Steve, what I said to you the other day, which is you have always been so so much more gracious with me than I feel like I have deserved in the moment. Um, but we talked about just the journey that has been there for Steve and I in all of that processing, you know, and um, certainly a few years ago when my daughter came out as gay, uh, I can't even begin to imagine how where I would have been at in terms of my ability to process that if I hadn't already been on a journey um, with my very good friend Steve uh, in that regard uh, but sometimes I feel like you were the scapegoat in my life my friend <laughs> um, you copped the worst of it and uh, you know so that I could take the journey <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm welcome to put my hand up for that one <laughs> I really think it was a, a bit of a god moment you know you got to think you know here is uh, event person who's running this little tiny church conference that sends out these scholarship tickets out thinking nothing of it that then sends me to this little tiny conference on mm. the sunshine coast where i connect in i i meet dave and then that sparks this relationship that goes on for 20 odd years where we are up to now that mm. took us on this journey you know and you know introducing me into dave's life at that point um so that he could you know struggle through through these concepts and ideas um, of what you know sexuality and Christianity means, and you know what does it mean for him personally? Um, you know, it's a real God moment that that all came together as it did to get where we are now. It's a powerful story, uh, and just hearing the emotion for you know for Dave as he's talking, but also for yourself, like Steve, when you're talking about that initial experience of having leaders in a church come to you and almost in a way telling mm. you what your identity was, and then in that same sentence telling you, and that identity is bad. Um, it, it, for me, that's such a like I'm experiencing a sense of mm. grief just hearing that story because I think it's so tragic for you know, for all of us as humans. We're all just trying to work out who we are what's our place in the world you know what, what what does it mean to be me what does it mean to be connected with others the second part to that as well is you know you know Dave shared about his side where he got approached but in that initial meeting that I had with the leaders they they said you know this is a confidential meeting nothing will go any further and then literally a week or so later I get these phone calls from Dave going so I've got a phone call Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, from that space where they make you feel safe and go, you know, this is just a closed mm. meeting. Let's talk about this to all of a sudden it's exploded outside the church. Uh, it's exploded within the church. Um, you know, they said it won't go any further, but then I hear all these rumor mills starting within the church and that as well. So yeah, it, it they, yeah, they, offer this safe environment as a church of how you can how we can work through this but it's a little bit of a, a facade you know because they've got their own interests to a certain degree that mm. they probably see that they need to protect yeah um and so they need to you know act on that because i think they in the back of their mind they're also thinking well if we don't tell these people and something happens there then that's going to come back on us. Mm. I um, 
It's interesting you mentioned Anthony Van Brown earlier, and and like yeah, I think we might have to hit you guys up for an introduction to uh, see if we can't chat to Anthony uh, on the podcast himself at some point. I know I listened to all three of the extended episodes of uh, the uh, if 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 people haven't already discovered it, the um, uh, I was a teenage fundamentalist podcast, which is quite an interesting uh, listen. But uh, Anthony, who was Tony at the time, was one of the pastoral staff at Frank Houston's church when I was there, Carl. And uh, so, like, yeah. I remember here. I remember doing, you know, sessions even at twelve years old, sitting through the Every Believer Evangelism courses and yeah. <laughs> uh, that he yeah, used yeah. to run. And you know, when he was obviously um, married to his wife and and. Uh, yeah, the, the, all of the drama in church world that that ensued, uh, chaos ensued, as they say. Um, but I'm just yeah. I'm listening to that story, and I remember Steve when, you know, I mean, you're coming out as such uh, as as far as we experienced that as a family was essentially, I think you. Uh, changing your relationship status on Facebook um, to the fact that you were in a relationship with Carl. Um, and obviously we had a particular experience of, of that um, as your friends. Uh, but I mean, you know, I've heard Anthony talk about his experience of coming out when, when deeply in church circles. What, what were those experiences like for both of you coming from obviously quite conservative church um, environments? Yeah. I think for myself, I had to get myself to a place where I felt safe mm. um, in that church environment. Um, well, you know, I had moved on to another church by then. Um, and again, it was a church that I knew that they wouldn't be affirming of my sexuality. Mm. Um, but I, it goes back to what I said about, you know, feeling it that in your heart that it's the right thing and so i had to get myself to that point where i felt comfortable um within myself to then say to others this is who i am um because if i didn't feel that a hundred percent in my soul and i started opening up in that environment where it wasn't accepted then you'd be just bombarded with you know pray away the gay and mm -hmm. everything else that goes with that. Mm. Um, so I needed mm. to feel safe within myself to then go, this is who I am. And then I was open to, you know, anyone. And, you know, I still had the people come up and say to me, you know, that's not the right thing. But the more standout thing was, as you said, most of the public stuff was on Facebook. I updated my Facebook status. The most interesting part was not so much the people who came up to me and said that's not the right thing, but the silence of your friends was more the mm. bigger impact. And you know, mm. just seeing that friend count on Facebook just slowly tick down, where yeah, people wow. just go, no, unfriend, 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 because I didn't fit the mold in their mind. Which no. is in itself. I mean, again, like what what a. Uh, emotionally traumatic experience to go through when people are kind of rejecting you for being you, right? And um, that's it's weird because the church doesn't do that with most kinds of sin, even mm. if it is a sin. Usually, churches, when someone's going through 
spiritual crisis, they gather around and they help in every way they can. Mm. And they say, this person's going through this. But when it comes to sexuality and gender, there's this reaction people have all the time where it's like, you're wrong and I have to cut you out. Mm. Like, which doesn't, I, I just haven't seen that with anything else. Mm. You know, if, um, yeah. If, yeah. No, weird. you're right. You're right. Sexuality within the church seems to be this other, like there's, you know, like there's, in some ways, in the church, it's better to murder somebody than to commit adultery, or better to murder than, or even yeah. to watch porn. Right? Like, if you kill, if you were to massacre a school, they'd probably forgive you. But if you watch porn, you'll be excommunicated. Kind of <laughs> attitude seems to happen yeah. within. You know, and what? Why do you think that is? Like, do you have any thoughts or theories as to why the conservative Christianity <laughs> um, or evangelicalism seems to put sexuality on this pedestal that that makes it? Unforgivable if the, you if you digress from what they determine the, the norm genital to be. obsession. I should, um, I should put you in touch with my friend Kathy Baldock, who's written a book called Walking the Bridgeless Canyon, and she's just gone through the history since the late 19th century in society, in psychology, in theology, and just brought all the threads together of how we ended up here. Mm. Um, and she like just to give you some broad brushstrokes around it in the 50s homosexuality was being demonized because it was associated with communism. Yeah. Everyone was mm. saying the communists are out. I mean, meanwhile, the communists are putting gay people in jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the, in America, there's this red scare that mm. communists are trying to recruit people by making them gay when they're young. Um, and then in the eighties, all of a sudden there's this kind of family values movement that comes up. And they needed to capture, like, you know, what we would now call Trump America. Like, they needed to to make that political connection with them. And they needed people to demonize. And it happened to be uh, single mothers, you know, pregnant teenagers, gay people. It's trans people now, but at the time it was the, mm -hmm. the whole gay thing. And it's there's a lot of political uh, movement behind it that really comes with the the construction of like family values right wing which is fascinating weird, i was actually um you know doing this uh song at church today for the first time um it's, it's a hillsong one and it just one of the the big scary things in it is um fathers leaving like families being broken up and it just reminded me we were always worried that if the family was broken apart it would destroy society that was the big mm scary mm. thing when i was growing up i mean i was pretty intensely homophobic like mm. i had some pretty strong opinions against gay sure. people like ironically that were directed at myself and it was based on that fear that they're going to destroy families like mm -hmm. kids won't have parents kids you know who's going to raise the kids anymore if everyone's being gay like <laughs> those kind of irrational fears you touched on something that I think is really interesting there. Um, you know, it's kind of just a, a thought that's just popped in my head. But is he talking about that kind of political influence or that political agenda? Because you kind of see that in Australia at the moment as well, yeah. where you're getting groups that get scapegoated. So within, you know, I, I guess within conservative Christianity, it's the gay community or the LGBTI, your trans people, as you say at the moment, getting scapegoated with 
this is why society is falling apart. But then you also on the other side, on the far left, it's Christianity gets scapegoated as this is why society is being held back. And there's this mm. animosity that's coming between these two groups. And yet at some level, there's almost like, a, as you say, this political agenda in between both of that that is thriving yeah. off that animosity that's being created um, by scapegoating either the LGBTQ uh, community on the left or the conservative Christianity <laughs> on the right. Um, is that yeah. something that you've identified or noticed? Uh, look, it's, it's so weird being a gay Christian. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't use a lot of labels like gay for myself or whatever, but gay Christian, it's this weird space to be in or mm. LGBT Christian wherein both sides are suspicious of you. Yeah. So you're just aware of the fact that you're this walking paradox. I mean, I had a, a friend who um, was just posting on social media the other day. She's a Baptist minister. Um, and somebody just accused her of lying on Facebook because she, you can't be a Baptist and have a, a woman in a leadership role. Mm. So you must be lying. It's like people, these living, breathing human beings that don't fit these boxes we've created we're the paradox, we're the tension, mm. we're the thing that just can't be fathomed. Um, and I think it's those are the really interesting spaces to live in. I, yeah. as, much, as painful as this life was, I would now choose this life over any other life yeah. because getting to be in that space and saying, do you know what, I can actually see where both sides of our society are coming from at the moment because I have a connection. Like, I know that I'm a part of the church. I know that I'm a Christian. And when I talk about the church, if I'm criticizing the church, I always use us. I always say we, you know, what, what is the church doing at the moment? We are excluding queer people and LGBT people. Mm. I personally am doing the best that I can not to do that. But I'm also a member of this religion that's doing this thing. And I have to take ownership of that fact. Mm. Um, and I think that's the strongest place to move from. Because then you're saying, do you know what? I have a problem and I'm going to do something about it. Oh, that is, in many ways, the premise of our podcast. <laughs> we talk a lot about being, you know, two middle-aged, privileged white guys. Uh, in my case, straight. In, in Damien's case, uh, processing. I think I'll let him talk to that if he, if he wants to. But uh, the, the whole premise of the podcast is about those middle spaces, you know, yeah. and, and what it's like and to be... Because those are so much more interesting than the yeah. stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, like, I want to be able to engage in conversations about abortion, for instance, is, is something that we've we've mentioned in passing in, in the past. And and yet, as a, as a, you know, white male, I think I've got to be very careful about how I approach conversations uh, like that. You know, approaching that from a place of privilege and thinking that you know my voice is somehow important or even more important than than others or am i prepared to approach that discussion from a place of shutting up uh, and listening more than i talk and uh you know the truth is i will never have a uterus uh and and it's the same in these you know lgbtq spaces as a straight white guy i wrestle with what it, how do i engage with conversation I've been, I've been watching your facebook carl in recent weeks uh comment you know like um conversations around uh trans women in sport 
um, or the uh, the, oh, yeah, the you know the, the manly jersey, uh, the pride jersey yeah. with the manly team, and yeah, and and it's interesting because I find myself kind of going, all right, I don't necessarily always feel just a complete sense of agreement in every single thing that you post, but I do feel reasonably paralysed in terms of my ability to engage in those conversations. I'm kind of like, well, hang on, I'm the straight white guy, like how. What right do I even have to even have an opinion in that space or to even sometimes uh, not to feel like I can even ask a question, you know, uh, without and I'm not suggesting that you would do this, but certainly I have experienced in some of these spaces um, pretty quick cancelling kind of like, oh, well, you're not even an ally, right? Yeah. Like if you're even asking that question, then you're not an out, one of our allies and we're just going to cut you out of the conversation. And I'm like, well... How am I supposed to process these yeah. questions that I have if I'm not allowed to ask the questions? And, you know, that, I think that experience of being shut down because you're curious isn't just um, something that straight, white, cisgender males go through. Mm. Um, because I always find myself in situations where I'm talking about an issue and then somebody says, do you know what, you've just ignored my experience. Yeah. And that moment, I think we're afraid of that moment, mm. but that's the moment where the magic happens. Because if I say at that moment, oh, I didn't realize that I was invalidating your perspective mm. and I'm obviously lacking some information here. Can you help me understand? Usually I find that people, you know, unless they're just being hostile because it's fun, like that mm. does happen. Sure. Yeah. But Typically, people will say, oh, finally, a person who, in, this, in my case, white dude, you know, maybe not <laughs> some of the other things, but I might be a white dude. I'm talking about something and, and someone's talking about their experiences as a, um, a queer woman of color. Mm. And I'll say, I didn't know that I was treading on you, mm. but help me understand. And I'm sorry for the hurt, even though it wasn't intentional. Mm. And I want to be better. That's when I learn so much in those moments. Mm. And I think, I mean, that's something I've had uh, conversations with people recently um, in terms of you know, that sense of going, I've got, like, like Dave was saying, you know, kind of questions that say, I'm curious about, you know, like you know, I've, I've got family members even that watch the, the whole incidents with the, the Manly Seagulls and the Pride jersey and whatever. And they're going, I feel really scared now to even raise a question of curiosity about, what I think and feel about, you know, it, even whether or not, you know, they, they may be allies of the gay community, going, but I don't know if I want to step up and wear a pride jersey or whatever it might be. But now feeling, but if I say that I'm even thinking about that, I'm going to get squashed or trodden on or deemed as homophobic or whatever it might be. And mm. as you're saying, like what I'm hearing is this sense that there's a lack of being able to actually listen and understand the position that yeah. somebody else is sitting in without needing to somehow judge that upon ourselves as being a criti you know, criticism of our own identity? Is that fair? Yeah. I think, unfortunately, we live in this world of social media where everything gets sensationalised. Mm. Uh, and so social media gives people the ability to choose, you know, side A or side B uh, and, you know, don't explore the in-betweens. Um, and I think, it's, you know, we touch on the on the jersey issue. It's you know, have you know, someone sit down with these players and listen to their side of the story and and listen to what 
their convictions are in that. You know, it's very easy to just put up a wall and go, no, you're wrong. I don't believe, mm. believe what you do. Um, but I think, um, you know, we're humans. We're, we're people who connect with each other. And I think going back to my relationship with Dave, I think we wouldn't be where we are now if we hadn't connected as people, you know. You know, yeah. the, the night spent, you know, on the couch or around the fire having right. discussion. I was just thinking of that. It's just doing life together is where you really understand someone and where they're coming from. Now, you know, there's, I'm sure there's stuff that Dave and I disagree on. Um, but, you know, if there is in our discussions, we tend to steer away from them yeah. just naturally. It's not, you know, it's not like we're going, no, I'm not going to go there. It just, we naturally steer away from it. And, you know, as people, we attract those conversations and discussions that, you know, we can explore more. Hmm. I remember sitting around the fire with you, Steve, at some point along that journey um, between you uh, going public with your sexuality and and now. Uh, and I, I, I so vividly remember, I don't know if you do, but I remember saying to you just outright, like, look, Steve, you know, like, I'm still in a place where... I probably believe that, you know, being gay isn't God's best for anybody, but that's not as important. At the end of the day, it's just most important that I love you. And, and I, like I think back to some of the things I've said over the years. And like I said, man, you've been so incredibly courageous on the journey that I've taken. And, and, and I can't thank you enough because I, there's no way I could have been... Um, as prepared for Rachie to to come out a couple of years ago as I was, had you not journeyed with me. Not not just had I not experienced you coming out as a friend, but had you not journeyed that entire journey with me so graciously. There were so many... I have just looked back on it. I think, man, there are so many times when you could have gone, yeah, you know what, Dave, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> And you've just expressed uh, yourself with so much love to me as a friend, even when I was not ready uh, to just be accepting of you being who you were. Uh, and that has been so incredibly powerful. And I think to that point, you know, getting a little bit biblical is, you know, you know someone by their fruits, you know, like, you know, you get this typical talk in the Christian space of, you know, you can't be gay and, and Christian. And yet, you know, me being, you know, authentic to who I am and living as a Christian and that and having those discussions with you and that you would have in your mind go, of course, this person's a Christian. You know, this, yeah. this yeah. sexuality and that doesn't create that divide. Yeah. And I, the funny thing is, I don't think that ever even crossed my mind as a question. Uh, again, like totally because of the fruit of who you are, uh, for even at times when I would have said, well, I, I don't think Steve is meant to be gay. I don't think God's kind of okay with that. I still was like, and yet I, I, I know he loves Jesus, you know, like whether he and Jesus need to work some shit out <laughs> or not um, is between is kind of between them. But I just, I just, I know that Steve loves Jesus, you know, and I can't fault that, regardless of whether his choices, whether it be sexuality or any other issue in any of our lives, right? Like, are uh, 
you know, inverted commas, sin or God's best for somebody or, or however you want to talk about it. Um, and I think it, your, your witness to me was so powerful for the fact that you didn't feel the need to hurry me along the journey. At any point, you were happy to take my call, answer my questions uh, when I was ready to ask them. But I don't remember a single time in the last 10 years that you felt the need to hurry me along the journey yeah can i ask actually i'm curious steve because obviously there's a point in the relationship that you have with dave um where if we were to go back say five ten years or whatever before dave's reached the point the journey where he's at now you would have said okay i've got this friend dave and dave believes that you know what i'm doing is wrong or it's not god's best or you know i've got stuff to work out and yet you're obviously still able to engage with you know with dave at that point in time um, without looking at him or needing to go, well, you're just a homophobe and you know, just get out of here, you bigot, and whatever it might be. Yeah. How are you like? How were you able to manage that in that particular place in time? Given that some of potentially Dave's views were essentially questioning your own identity as a human being. I'll paraphrase a little bit, but there's something that just popped in my mind that Dave said uh, back in that time, and it was something along the lines of my relationship with you is more important than this other issue of homosexuality or being gay, whichever way you put it. But, you know, he clearly said back then that, you know, my relationship with you is more important. You know, whether whatever happens on that side is a sideline event, but, you know, my relationship is more important. And I think um, there was a, also a a moment as well is you know you probably have to get that drink ready but you know with (laughs) easter fets cheers there was a time there that um you know i had just come out so i gave myself a year off of you know that journey um of you know being involved in christian events and all that sort of stuff and then it was about a year later and then um, I was, you know, looking to get involved in that space again and Dave reached out and invited me to Easterfest again to coordinate one of the video teams. And that reinforced what Dave was saying of, you know, you as a person is more important Mm. because, you know, I don't need to use a video camera of my genitals or my sexuality <laughs> you know it, it doesn't influence be really weird work. in fact these days they even have warnings against that don't they on the boxes <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's the quote for steve's tomb yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we Stop. we may have the name of our our episode. It's yeah. like yeah, don't use a gen- don't use <laughs> don't a genital use- to operate a video camera. <laughs> Steve and Carl love it. And, and and I think looking at that, I think Dave separated that whole thing. And you know, I don't know on his side, but I'm sure he would have had people saying to him, you know, how can this person be involved in this space? Mm. So interestingly then, because what I'm hearing, and I think this is really profound, and Carl, I might get you to speak into this a bit more, um, is this sense that obviously the relationship that you had between each other superseded either your opinions and even your experiences of your own identities within that. You're like, you know what, we we, we have a love and respect um, for each other that transcends anything that we even think and feel about particular issues um, at this point in time. 
there's a lack of that, I think, happening in society at the moment. Yeah. That sense of that sense that we're all humans with relationships with one another. Like we're almost wanting to all stand back and pretend that we can be objective on particular issues, and that if other people don't have the same opinion of us on that particular issue, then we're you know they're, they're worthy of exclusion from having you know, involvement in the community. How do we better? overcome that or you know what, what yeah, can I jump in there yeah. too before, before and I'm super keen to hear um, you guys thoughts on this but I think I, I of my own experience walking the journey with Rach um, my daughter Rachel and uh, obviously we have some friends and family of still very much conservative Christian uh, mindset uh, and definitely the being gay is not okay it's a sin uh, mindset and it, it's been an interesting journey for me with with Rach to say you know are you able to love those people even if they disagree with you now that's a really easy thing to say if they think I don't know you shouldn't be wearing makeup Carl back in the 80s uh, or, or and you feel like it's okay right but when you're talking yeah. about something that for I think the vast majority of the LGBTQ community, you're talking about a sense of, of personal identity, mm. right? Um, how, how do you navigate that? Because I, I, I've been... That's got to be so much harder than just a difference of opinion about something. When you believe that something is core to who you are and somebody is saying, no, that thing is bad, it's wrong, it's broken... That, that's a very different thing to navigate in terms of being able to go, oh, we're going to try and engage in this conversation with people who we disagree with when it's something so personal okay. and deep. I want to just say this. This is very lovingly said and very respectfully said. Um, but I, I feel like there's a lot of anxiety about whether I'm able to approve of this or not approve of this. I don't really care if people approve of me. That's, yeah. I remember that came up a lot in the 80s and 90s mm. that I would hear Christians saying, oh, gay people, they want us to approve of them. Mm. But I think somehow there's a miscommunication because most gay people that I've met really couldn't care less whether the church thinks it's a sin or not. Mm. Th yeah, there right. is a, there's a conversation that's going on about whether or not we are being treated with justice and respect. But... Uh, somebody once asked me the question, oh, so do you just think that all Christians have to be affirming? And I'm like, no, I, d I don't care if Christians are affirming or not. Um, but when we hear stories about how people are treated mm. or when messages are sent out which convey hostility and hatred, mm. that's a different question. Yeah, right. And I think that Christians are like, oh, well, oh so we weren't allowed to have an opinion. And it's like, no, you don't understand. You could have expressed your opinion in a way that was loving and respectful. Yeah. But that was not what happened. And so, yeah, I think that we need to have a much longer conversation about what inclusion and respect look like. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one, getting back to, like, because I think it's a great parallel, Steve, between what you're saying, like, going in and working at Easterfest and doing sound and tech there. And then there's a community of people within the, the church circle that says, well, he shouldn't be doing that because or why is he here because of you know, his 
sexuality or whatever. And then you, you see a similar thing happening, I think, getting back to the Manly Seagulls, which I think is a great timely kind of yeah. illustration happened. where you've got people saying they shouldn't, like the, the, the players that didn't want to wear their jersey, they shouldn't be playing for you know football because of their particular opinions. And it's almost that, that sense of there's an exclusion now of them because of what they think. And what I'm hearing, Carl, is this sense of neither of those attitudes are respectful and toler- uh, and careful of the other people. And that's where yeah. the problem kind of comes. Absolutely. You can have those conversations in a far more respectful and yeah. loving way that says, you know, well, this, yeah. I mean, I had, I expressed, I think, this is the social media post you're referring to. <laughs> My view was that if those people chose not to wear the jerseys, that they didn't have to play. Yeah. yeah. But... That wasn't because I think they should be tested to see if they affirm gay people. Mm. Because people will wear all kinds of advertising messages. These jerseys are space for hire. People put advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like somebody advertises a brand of, I don't know, of soda on the jacket. That doesn't imply you personally like that soda. Yeah. That's, that's the team's message. So that I felt that the boycott was actually an attack on the queer community. Mm. That they had every right to hold their opinions and th- there really would have been no problem if they'd just h- held their opinions and worn their jersey and gone ahead with it. And, and there's been a lot of people talk about, well, the, you know, gambling sites and, and others that are uh, often sponsoring those kinds of jerseys and, and different teams. And, yeah. you know, like it doesn't, ass- you know, wearing the jersey to play for a football team doesn't assume that yeah. that they a pro gambling you know (laughs) it's just and i think it it parallels the conversation we had a while back where the line was drawn in the sand about decorating a a wedding cake for a gay wedding and my my opinion was the same then you don't have to approve of someone's wedding to make a cake yeah right (laughs) yeah there are plenty of weddings (laughs) that go on in this world that should be disapproved of that straight people have that aren't necessarily appropriate weddings but if you're hired to make a cake you make a cake yeah and framing that as no no this cake is my opinion and i can withhold the cake because it's an opinion i, I think that's just wrong the cake mm. isn't the opinion if you mm. write happy birthday on a cake you don't personally wish that person you probably don't know who they are yeah, yeah it's right. not your exactly. opinion yeah. you're just putting the icing on i i, I want to d- dive in the deep end here for the very sake of of uh, i guess trying to have these conversations and and explore yeah. how do we have them well uh, which is is a huge part of what we are passionate about with the awkward in between and, and we've said in previous episodes you know like we have no doubt that somewhere on the line we're going to say something that is awkward i i was kind of nervous and, and you know there was this nervousness for me about this episode because i'm like at some point you know like i'm going to refer to somebody the wrong way i'm going to use the politically incorrect language and you know i'm just going to put my foot in my mouth as as we like have this conversation and uh, but we've been you know that that for us is a lot about why we're doing this is to say well yeah like how do we get past that you know how do we kind of get better at these things if we don't have the conversations because we're scared we'll put a foot wrong um, and I, so I'm interested, Carl, in the in the, some of what you've posted recently about the uh, like trans women in sport um, conversation, um, because yeah. I've got to admit I, I, I do wrestle with that uh, mm-hmm. and the idea, you know, just simply around the physical capacity issues of that. I certainly right. have no problem whatsoever 
these days. I, I would have not so many years ago, as as you well know. But uh, these days, no no issue at all in just fully supporting um, uh, people in all of those spaces. Um, but I, I just think, you know, like I, I do ask myself questions about, well, why did we end up? Wh- why do we have men's and women's sport in the first place? Uh, and if it's about physical ability and you know my understanding again minimally researched i want to say so more yep. than happy to be set straight if if my facts are uh, quite simply incorrect <laughs> i've turn set straight yeah. Dave. you're as straight as they already come <laughs> I, I may be the only one in this conversation damo but you know like <laughs> i'll leave that conversation up to you my friend <laughs> but uh um, yeah, like just, uh, you know, if that my understanding is that so, uh, a, a person born biologically male uh, who goes through uh, um, puberty and adolescence uh, in that way is, is likely to still have physical capacity um, on, at a higher level, should that be even a consideration given that maybe that, maybe it is, maybe historically it was just about the patriarchy or something, yeah. but if that was historically some of the reason why men's and women's sport were separate, um, then should yeah. that be a consideration in those sorts of situations or do you think not? I think that the message that trans people have an advantage in sports is probably not based on the best science. Okay. I, I don't think it's offensive to ask this question. Thank but- you. <laughs> Yeah, and I should. Yeah, I don't think it's offensive to ask questions. So that's just blanket. <laughs> just mm, ask mm. questions as much as you want to. But statistically, trans people are massively underrepresented in sports mm. because usually the treatments that they go through reduce their ability significantly. Mm. So I think there's fear that trans people are going to be given an unfair advantage in these sports, whereas the statistics are saying. There aren't many trans people who are famous athletes Mm. because they're probably coming from a disadvantage to begin with, not just in women's sports, trans women, um, but even within women's sports, trans women seem to have a disadvantage. Mm. So that's the scientific reason that I would say I don't think this concern is founded. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly there are protocols that have been used for decades, which have addressed concerns about, you know, well, someone just just declares that they're transitioning and, you know, the next minute they're doing mixed martial arts. This is an unfair situation. Absolutely. But the protocols that have been in place for decades have said, no, this is, there are limits about um, what kind of gender affirming treatments they've gone through that have been fine and have worked really well. Mm. But the explosion that's recently happened in the media has been more about situations which have been within those limits, but one trans person happens to do well and there'll be a media outburst around that. Yeah. Which, yeah, I I think that is not applying those concerns correctly. Yeah. Yeah. we, We could probably come up, you need protocols. That's, for sure. And I think everyone agrees on that. But most of the media stuff that has come up has really just been a trans person was good at something. Like mm-hmm. we're tolerating trans people as long as they're 
doing averagely. Mediocre. But if yeah, one right. trans person <laughs> is excellent at something, now that's offensive. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And I think that that's the problem that I no, see. I appreciate it. So are you suggesting, Carl, that the media is not completely objective? Is that what I'm hearing you say? <laughs> I would never. <laughs> no, I just... I just think there's a lot of fear around this at the moment. Yes, you know, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Five definitely. years ago, there was a lot of concern around trans people in bathrooms, even though that's not a significant factor in gender-based violence or sexual assault. Mm. Yeah, it it just hasn't been a problem. So people are coming up with scenarios where a problem might happen when there isn't a problem happening. And if we saw trans people being overrepresented in competitive sports, then there'd be a problem and we could talk about it. But currently trans people are at a disadvantage. Mm. So there is no problem. Um, and that's, yeah. That, to me, that's what signals me to the fact that this is a kind of a, a undue fear about trans people rather than a legitimate concern about a problem that's actually happening. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a red herring, really. Like, the issue is not the issue. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a big identity issue that happens. And I, I hear, like, because what, what, what's happening in the sport is, yeah, you've got an entire collective group of, of people at the moment, like, you know, that in some ways, and this is a problem with society in general, is that we want to kind of put groups of people in homogenous categories right me able to say okay there's a group yes. of people called trans people and everybody that's in that group is like this and there's a group of people called gay people and everyone in that group's like this or black people white people whatever yeah. it might be like for me as someone who's studied psychology it doesn't i don't need to stretch my uh, and understanding too far to go there's probably somebody in the world whose sense of identity is so linked to the idea of winning for example that they may go and bodybuild themselves to the you know, the, the extreme and then go right and now all i have to do is identify as a woman and i can be a dominant bodybuilder um because that for me is where my identity comes from is from winning right it doesn't i i don't see that as being a far stretch from the sort of things that people do but then all of a sudden somebody in that category demonizes everybody that's transgender simply because they've gone hey that's a ticket for me to potentially yeah fulfill my you know my my desire to win and it could be that and it's the same with like the the, the toilet thing right People that are respectful people can be in a toilet with anybody else and not do anything that's offensive. But then there might be one person who goes, my identity is based on whatever it might be. You know, I need to be able to dominate power over somebody else and now here's an opportunity for me to do so. And as society, we get really fearful of those tiny little anomalies within... Um, I don't know. There, and, and, there's a question there I'm trying not, to ask it, anyway, but not articulating well. But some of well. it's not real in the first place, right? Like yeah. I spent my... Uh, the, you know, a good, uh, I don't know, a good number of years uh, wrestling with, you know, thinking as a, as a good straight white cisgender, you know, Christian, uh, that the important, th one of the important things in raising my kids was that, you know, like if my daughter wanted a, a, a friend who was male to sleep over, um, then that might be okay, but they certainly weren't sleeping in the same bedroom, right? Um and at some point I found out that my daughter was gay <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like, well, now what do I do? You know, like, so if the girlfriend wants to sleep over, 
Are they allowed in the same bedroom? Like maybe the boyfriend, the boyfriend is allowed to sleep in the bedroom now, but not the girl. I don't know what to do with this. Like, and realistically, what it turned out is that the original premise was flawed to begin with. You know, it was a, a far too simplistic way of looking at the world. I think also looking at that sport space. I think you know, there's stories there online of you know people losing their their wins because of their chromosomes that mm. you know their whole life they've identified as female and they just do this random test and then all of a sudden they've lost their medals because you know their chromosomes have come out different you know mm. like i think there's so much science around it now it's not just a a, a simple xx and xy chromosome right. around sex and gender there's yeah. so much more to it that's now coming out in science and so you know in sport we've got this black and white male female in that mm. but there's so much more in that space than the science that's coming out now yeah 100 percent. with the issue of like teenagers and sexuality and safety we know what makes teenagers safe in the area of sexuality and that's educating them accurately and scientifically when they're young mm -hmm. if you give someone a good solid education in sexuality they will wait longer to have sex because they choose to they'll be less likely to have an std less likely to get pregnant uh, mm. less likely to have negative feelings about sex we can protect them that way mm -hmm. mm. and actually like segregating rooms at sleepovers wasn't really doing all that much to begin with no, but it made, I, us, it made us feel good about ourselves, Carl. Well, okay, it was doing something, but it wasn't doing what it Not was for supposed them. to do. <laughs> it was more for me uh, than it was the for them. I, I think that also goes back to, you know, when I was growing up, you're in youth group and camps and all that, they'll always have those talks and, you know, it's about staying pure and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, there was no... Um, you know talks or anything about you know how to treat someone right you know where are the boundaries etc it's just a flat out don't even go there mm -hmm. off limits you know and it create this big taboo instead of actually you know you know can you imagine churches actually having the conversation around consent you know like yeah. you would educate someone so much more by having those conversations instead of just having this this purity culture of just you know you just don't go there yeah, yeah. so then you know it forces uh, people uh, into marriage early um because oh my gosh, you know, yeah. that's where yeah. they can explore that um so then they start exploring that and then marriages come crashing to a ground because you know they weren't able to explore that in their own way beforehand i, I have no idea what you're talking about steve <laughs> that's exactly my story <laughs> yeah oh my man i mean yeah. as, a, as a teenage Christian boy, I, all I remember is, okay, so I'm not allowed to have sex. So how far am I allowed to go? Can we just, can we talk about a step back from there? Like, not two steps back. <laughs> so, like, what, what, what can I get away with? Let's just be honest. When I was that age, I had this delusion that I must be especially spiritual because the only kind of sex that had ever been described to me was straight sex was and not into that so i thought that was a sign that i was quite a holy person <laughs> i gotta say Stephen Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure for you coming on well, to the uh, awkward in between podcast today and just sharing obviously you know it was a fairly um 
you know, I, I hate the fact, like, I just want to apologise at the end. I hate the fact that we're talking to you guys, obviously you're a gay couple, and the whole topic became very much about sexuality, whereas that's just a fraction of yeah, who true. it is for you guys to be human and what it is to live in the world. And so, you know, there's, there's so much more to be explored there as well. But thank you so much for allowing us opportunity to explore that space with you here on The Awkward Inventory. It's been amazing. Such a great pleasure to be here.